Did you know that real estate is the method where many people in America have become multimillionaires? Do you want to learn about real estate? Stand by. Welcome to the Real Estate Exam Podcast. This is a podcast where we will provide you sample lessons for the real estate exam for the states which we offer full real estate exam audio lessons. Our audio lessons are designed so that you can study for the real estate exam in your state while driving, exercising, or otherwise using time which would be unavailable for reading or looking at a computer monitor. For more information on the full series of lessons, which we have available in various states, go to reexampodcast.com. Good luck in your studies. A career in real estate sales can be extremely rewarding, but the first step is to get your real estate exam license. This is Franz Amason. I'm the producer of the real estate exam audio lessons that you're going to be listening to. You signed up for five free audio lessons of the California real estate salesperson exam prep audio lessons. The full series of audio lessons consists of 25 lessons, including four review sessions, which total eight hours and 58 minutes in length. This first lesson is going to be covering California Property Ownership and Land Use Regulations Part 1. So listen, and I hope you find it valuable. If you do find it valuable, perhaps you will consider purchasing the full series of audio lessons available at the website, reexampodcast.com. Welcome to this lesson entitled Property Ownership and Land Use Controls and Regulation. So in each lesson, we're just going to go over a certain topic, give you some examples if things are a little bit confusing. But basically, this is just an overview of a certain topic that you are going to need to know in order to pass the California real estate exam. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. The first question we're going to consider is the difference between land versus real estate versus real property. Now these things are kind of similar, but they each have a, a slight distinction. Land is physical property and any natural objects that are on it. These are things that you might see in nature, rocks and water, plants, trees. A lot of the times you hear this is just referred to as the lot. So this is just the natural land. If you say, that's the lot that they're going to build the house on. So that's the land. Real estate refers to land with permanent man-made improvements on it. So that means that there is something that has been built on top of it. So there's a building, there's a house, there's a business, there's a structures for a park, that sort of thing. That, so real estate is land plus a man-made improvement. And then finally, we have real property, and that refers so to the land 
the improvements that are on the land, but also the rights, powers, and privileges, this is sometimes referred to as the bundle of rights, that are legally connected to the ownership of that land. So all of this together is real property. And when we're talking about property, there are two main types that you talk about in real estate. There's real property and personal property. Real property, as you just said, is the land, its improvements, and all of the tangible and intangible rights that a person has to that land and its real estate are known as real property. It's the land and all the things that are permanently attached to it. That includes the man-made stuff and the natural stuff. And also anything that you fix to it, such as plumbing or different kinds of cabinets, things that are permanently there and so and would cause damage if that thing was removed, such as the cabinets, are also considered to be part of the real property. And when you transfer real property, say from one buyer to another buyer, you need a deed. We'll talk a little more about that later. So when you own real property, it's not just that you own the buildings. It's a bundle of rights. If you're thinking about a bundle of rights, you think every right that you have is like a stick. And you've got a bundle of sticks together, and you wrap a rope around them or a ribbon around them, and that together is your bundle of rights. And a property owner can take a single stick away from that and sell it without necessarily affecting all of the other rights in the bundle. So if you take one stick out of there and sell that stick to somebody else, you still have all the other sticks left in your bundle. Your bundle's a little bit smaller, but you still have all of the sticks that are in the bundle. Now there are two basic categories of rights that we talk about. There are tangible rights and there are intangible rights. So in order for to help you understand this, first let's talk about the definitions of the words. Tangible means something that you can touch, sense, feel, that sort of thing. And then intangible is something that you can't touch or feel. This is usually what the words mean. But let me give you a few examples of what they actually mean in this context. So tangible rights are based on the physical aspects of the property, such as buildings, farmland, orchards, trees, plant life, different fixtures such as fences or plumbing, all of these things, they're physical, tangible objects that you see on the property. Then we have the intangible rights, and these are things that are associated with the areas above and below the land surface, such as access to the air, access to water, access to the minerals that they're found on the land, different easements, licenses, profits that derive from the land, mortgages, that sort of thing. So to review, tangible things are things that are physical aspects, whether they're man-made or not, and intangible things are things that you can't touch or see or feel, or they usually deal with the things that are above the ground, and below the ground on the property. So we're talking about real property. There are different categories that these fall under. 
And here there are just a few. The first we have vacant land. Now vacant land doesn't have anything on it. There are no buildings, there are no other improvements such as fences or drains or anything on the land. It's just vacant. There's just what nature originally had on the land. Then we have what's called agricultural property. This is type of property used by farmers or other people who grow things, things like their crops, or if they have a herd of animals that they let graze on the land. There's a bunch of trees on it that bear fruit, are just a few examples of that. Then we have industrial or manufacturing property. And on this kind of land, you have factories, manufacturing facilities, warehouses for storing goods. So it's used for industry. Then we have what's called commercial property. And commercial property just thinks stores. There are places of business, offices, hotels, gas stations, restaurants, any other kind of business. So that is commercial property. And then finally, we have residential property. Residential property is where people live. There's, the, And this is a whole huge property category unto itself. There's single-family homes, there are apartments, there are condos, just whatever kind of buildings where the main purpose of the building is to let people live there, that's residential property. And there's another category that's a special purpose property, That's so that's off by itself, and that is a park and recreation area. Now these are preserved for it sounds like parks, education, recreation, and they're usually overseen by some sort of government agency. So they're either owned by uh, the city, the state, the federal level. Somebody has set this aside for a specific purpose. So that doesn't fall into the other categories that we just mentioned. It's a special category unto itself. And, and also in a category into itself are institutional properties. And these properties are public buildings. So they're something that's usually owned by some branch of the government. And these are educational buildings such as schools, so elementary schools, high schools, universities, and other government buildings such as post offices, government offices, libraries, prisons, any of these things fall under kind of the public use. So these are institutional properties. Next, let's discuss a term called personal property. Now, personal property are things that are both tangible, so as we discussed, things that you can touch and see and sense, and movable, such as different kinds of furniture or things you might have to play outside. Let's say you've got a, a trampoline or a swing set or some sort of playground equipment on the property that's a tangible and movable thing so that's referred to as personal property sometimes you plant life is seen as as real property so it can be classified as personal property if it's planted so that it can be removed without damaging the property so if you could easily pick it up and take it somewhere else without really damaging the property then it can be personal property. So, so for example, if you had a humongous tree that had roots that are really ingrained in the property, and by removing the tree, it would cause you know 
pretty significant damage to the land. So that there were a big hole there and it really changes how it looks, then that's not considered personal property. But let's say you have a little individual potted plant that can be considered because it's movable, won't damage the property if you move it. Personal property can become real property when you make it permanent on the land. So to be personal property, that's something that has to be able to be moved. But if you take personal property and you make it so that it can no longer be moved, then it becomes real property. So a good example of this is comparing a home that's on a foundation to a mobile home. A home that's on a foundation is in a fixed place. It can't be moved. So that is an example of real property when we're talking about real estate law. However, a mobile home can be moved from place to place. So it's actually considered a piece of personal property instead. So even though it, both the house on the foundation and the mobile home are used to live in, there's a distinction that one is real property, the fixed one, and one is personal property, the mobile one. Now let's talk about the word fixtures. The term fixtures are items that have been permanently attached to real property. Now a good example of this would be a built-in bookcase or a shelf or a wardrobe. So if you take this piece of furniture and you really affix it to the property, so you, you nail it in so that it's a permanent thing. It's not something you're going to take with you when you move, that sort of thing. Or for example, if you go out and you build a swimming pool that's made of concrete, you build, you dig a big hole in your backyard and you fill it in with concrete that's now annexed physically or constructively annexed to a structure. So it's, it's added to it in a way that can't be removed. So if you make a great big swimming pool like that and out of concrete, it's not going anywhere. That is in contrast to say, if you just put up a freestanding pool that you could remove later, that would not be considered a fixture, that would be considered a piece of personal property. So there are five different criteria to determine whether something is a fixture or not. And there's a great little acronym that you can use to remind yourself of these five things, and that is the name MARIA. M stands for method of attachment, A stands for adaptability, R, relationship to the parties, I, intent, and A, agreement between the parties. So, Maria. M stands for the method of attachment. Determining whether a fixture is attached and how permanently it's attached makes the difference between whether it's a personal item or a fixture. So, if you attach something permanently to the walls, such as you're going to put some new paneling on the walls, then that's a fixture. However, if you just hang up a personal picture on the walls, that's a piece of personal property. Next is a adaptability of the attached item. Now, some things become fixtures because they've been modified from their original intent. Say you took a bookcase that was originally supposed to just be a freestanding bookcase, and then you affix it and you modify it so that it is a permanent part of your house, then that is an adaptation that you've made. Also, carpeting. Carpets are something that have been 
cut into a specific shape, so they're been adapted, so that they specifically fit your house. So if you have the, the rug that's been adapted to a specific shape, it's not going anywhere, that is a fixture. However, if it's like a throw rug, or a rug that you can easily pick up, and that wasn't adapted for your specific space, then that is a personal piece of property. R stands for relationship of the parties. Sometimes the relationship of the fixture to its owner is the deciding factor, whether it's a fixture or not. For example, if a tenant goes in and attaches a special type of door or a window, and that's something that they did themselves, that can have a bearing on whether or not it's considered a fixture or a piece of personal property. The next is intent. It's kind of related to that. And it's the, so the intent of what the owner meant to do when they affixed whatever this was, whether it was a bookshelf or a special kind of window or cabinets or whatever, it's what they intended it to be. That comes into play as well. And then finally, the most kind of straightforward and obvious one is agreement. If there's a written agreement about what is included and what is excluded, that takes precedence. So when you're selling a house, you might say, okay, the refrigerator is included, the stove is included, but the washer and dryers are not included. They're not in considered fixtures, they're considered personal property, and so those will be taken when the person leaves the house. Next, let's talk a little bit about land. So this is being the natural features of any given area. And some of the characteristics, the categories that parcels of land fall into. There are two main things that you have to talk about when you're describing land and its function. First are the physical characteristics and the second are the economic characteristics. So physical characteristics of land are the first immobility. Land can't be moved in its entirety. So you can't move the whole thing. You consider if it's immobile, that means you can't take pick up the entire thing and move it. So you can move little bits and pieces of it so you could take a handful of dirt and move it from here to there, but you can't actually move the entire parcel of land. The second is indestructibility. So even though that it can sustain some damage through say the weather, or some other kind of disaster, it can't be destroyed completely because it continues to adjust to these things over time. And the last is non-homogeneity. This means that no two pieces of land are completely identical. There are slight differences in features and the different structures between even parcels of land that are very similar. No two parcels of land will be exactly identical. So immobility, indestructibility, and non-homogeneity are the three physical characteristics of land. The, so to determine whether it's land, you have to, it has to be those three things. And then we have what are called the economic characteristics of land. The first one is called scarcity. And though there's some areas where land is actually really hard to come by. And that, so that is saying that it is scarce. And so the ownership of land is not a likely condition. 
And the scarcer land is, the higher the prices are going to be, and the better investment it's going to be for the person who buys the land. So that's something to take into consideration as an economic factor. Next we have what's called permanence. Another term for this is fixity. And that means that but land has kind of a lasting potential. It's going to be around for a long time. The next is called situs, and that is the concept that some pieces of land are more or less valuable than other pieces of land. And this is also something that can change over time. So things can become more or less desirable depending on people's needs, people's wants, uh, changes that come to the land, that sort of thing. And then finally we have improvements. And these are just referred to any of the structures or landscaping that give the land more value. So these are things that have been done to the land in order to improve it. Now there are many different kinds of property. And each kind of property describes the different characteristics of the property. So let's talk about a few different kinds of property that you might run into. The first is meets and bounds. And this is a method of describing real prop property that uses geography and different features that the land has in order to describe the boundaries of the land. So you could say, well, it goes from this river to that river. And that's the, the boundary of the land. Or it goes from the mountains over to the other mountains or whatever. It could be two different kinds of geographical features as well. Then we have what's called the rectangular survey system. And this is a pretty traditional method where they, they literally measure out a rectangle of, say, a plot of land is, or is this many acres large or this many miles or feet by this many miles or feet, and that's a plot of land. We have then what's called the government or U.S. public land system. And this is the, one of the most commonly used methods, and just one that's used by the government. Next we have townships, and this is a method that has a square unit of land that is six miles on each side. So that's a 36 mile township, and then which is then divided further into 36 one square mile sections that can then be subdivided even more. The next is called a principal meridian. Now this takes a meridian line and then divides it, say this is the area north of it or south of it or east of it or west of it. So that you just have kind of a point of reference, then you go from there. Then you also have baseline and meridian intersections. So for example, in California, there are three baseline meridian intersections that are used to describe so positions. There are east-west ones, and then there's north-south ones, and then you have lines that go off. So referencing the baseline, how far away to the east or the north or the south you are from those lines. So that's another system that you can use. Then we have what's called recorded plat. It's also known as a lot and block survey system. And this is just a system that where you take a large plot and then you break it up into smaller lots and different land areas.
Then finally, we have what's called the APN system, which is the Assessor Parcel Number System. And so a number is assigned to each parcel of property for identification and record keeping. And so each APN is unique within a particular area. And then and they're usually formatted the same way within a particular area, just a way to keep track of what land goes where. That's all for the lesson for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the first sample lesson of this five lesson sample series for the California Real Estate Salesperson Exam Prep Audio Lessons. Your next lesson will be out tomorrow, and it's the second portion of property ownership and land use regulations. If you find this valuable and you want to get the full course, please go to reexampodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We hope you found this lesson valuable. Again, we are offering audio lessons for the real estate exam for various states. Check out our website, reexampodcast.com, to see if we have audio lessons available for your state. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, please contact me by using the contact form at the website, reexampodcast.com. Keep studying. Keep studying.